0: Now, to Ian Dutch, columnist with the i-newspaper and host of the podcast, Origin Story, Heavens Above. Well, first of all, welcome back. But where to begin? Let's, I suppose, start with the, the economic troubles, please.
1: Well, they're very severe. Um, so, the IMF uh, released a report, an international report, came out overnight. Putting the UK at the bottom of 15 advanced economies, we're the only one in recession. We are suffering very, very badly. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Brexit is one of them, although I have to say the IMF doesn't um, mention it, but it's mentioned by pretty much every other economist that looks at our situation. And one of the other is, you know, soaring mortgage rates as a result of the economic harakiri performed by liz truss our previous prime minister when she decided to ignore all expert advice and enter into a millennialist approach to tax cuts so it's very very severe and we are clearly in a much worse position than almost any other country of our type
0: well that's a fine start to our new year together mr is isn't it okay so <laughs> yes, indeed apart from these this incredibly bad report card from the IMF, we've got escalating scandals. Can we just look at a a couple of them?
1: Yeah, well, let's take um, uh, Nadine Zahawi, who was the Chancellor under Liz Truss and was kept on as Minister Without Portfolio by Rishi Sunak. Now, he was sacked uh, yesterday over a report into the fact that he was negotiating with HMRC, which collects taxes, while he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, over fines that he had been handed for his extremely complex and very, very profitable business activities. Um, His response to this, by the way, is, is quite instructive of the way the political class and powerful people operate in Britain in general, which is that when journalists first started reporting it, he steadfastly said it absolutely categorically wasn't true and then set the lawyers on them, set very aggressive, very expensive lawyers to issue them with a variety of different libel threats. Now, that's pretty much cast iron, how these guys behave. We now know that everything he said was untrue was, in fact, true and that everything he set his lawyers upon journalists to stop them publishing was also entirely true. The investigation was completed and Rishi Sunak got rid of him, but only after dithering and delaying for two weeks so that he took the maximum possible political damage. Another example comes from Dominic Raab. Dominic Raab, one of the really key allies of Rishi Sunak and a long survivor in government, despite the fact that he has no real cognitive ability or indeed moral judgment to speak of. He is now under investigation for 24 different counts of bullying of his own staff. That's going to go on for weeks, and we would expect that to end in exactly the same way as the Zahawi case with his resignation.
0: Dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. You reported last week on the staggering number of asylum seeker kids in Britain who've been kidnapped from a hotel run by the Home Office.
1: Yeah, it's a real, we're really starting the new year in a positive and upbeat light here. Uh, Two years ago, the Home Office took over responsibility for refugee children, asylum-seeking children who arrived in the UK, putting them in hotels managed by the Home Office. Now, this was warned about at the time by pretty much every child safety expert and pretty much every refugee group saying, you're not going to be able to do this properly. We have a long-standing legal norm that local councils have legal responsibility for child safety. What we've now found, according to excellent investigative reporting from The Guardian, is that these children are sometimes being bundled into cars outside of the hotels. Now, we don't know where they're going. Some of them, undoubtedly, it must be conceded, would have sort of absconded in order to reunite with friends and family. But others, we seem to have a clear indication from The Guardian reporting, are being kidnapped by gangs to work, in and we just don't know what. But you can imagine the worst. Now, to give you an impression, of how completely out of control the Home Office is, they cannot even categorically state who currently has legal responsibility for these children. Is it them? Is it the local council? There are no clean answers to that, let alone a proper investigation into what is happening. Instead, what we get from the Home Office is an extremely vociferous and tough response to any journalist that covers it, To so saying you can't use the word abduction, you can't talk in this way, again, sort of stating that any kind of coverage that's coming from, um, from sources within those hotels about the home office is a form of misinformation is made up you can see the connection there with the zahawi case and the attitude towards critics so they have no idea what have happened to these children we know at the moment there are hundreds of children that are missing the home office don't know where they are and that as it is i think you just take a step back and think this is just a moment of complete moral collapse really in britain's reputation that it would allow this to happen in the first place and that it is unwilling to take the steps necessary in order to prevent it happening again in the future now
0: Now, today marks, would you believe, the third anniversary of Brexit, and uh, polling indicates there's a lot of buyer
1: remorse. Yeah, I mean, happy birthday. Uh, So, extraordinary polls coming out at the moment. I mean, the shift in public opinion on this is very, very quick. Since it happened, I mean, it really is quite staggering. There are currently only three constituencies who do not believe that it was a mistake in the whole of the UK. Only one of them, which has a majority of people saying that uh, Brexit was a good idea, it's Boston and Skegness in Lincolnshire. All three constituencies are in Lincolnshire, actually. I don't know quite what they're drinking over there to make them think that it's all going swimmingly. But evidently, I would like some of it myself. So you've seen a, a complete collapse, really in Brexit support. We're not quite at the point where people want to rejoin because they sort of don't really want to open up the issue again. But I think an indication of why this is happening, is you can you can sort of get from Daniel Hannan, who was an extremely prominent conservative Brexiteer for years. He was on the radio this morning and he was asked, you know, okay, so, so what is it that we've got out of Brexit? What is it that we've secured? And he said, well, it's because of Brexit that we could support Ukraine. And it's because of Brexit that we had vaccines for COVID. And you just sort of think, well, none of these things had anything to do with Brexit. We could have had those vaccines in the EU. The Ukraine policy is completely disconnected. So even now, so many years into it, there's no clear assessment of what advantages have been found. It's always, oh, just over the next hill, over the next mountain, then you know, all these great opportunities would emerge. But we do have a very clear idea of what the cost has been, and the cost is writ large in that IMF report and every other economic report pointing out the damage this country has taken to its trade, to its labour market, to its ability to lobby for international regulations. So, finally, that objective reality seems to be permeating the public in a really very severe and comprehensive way.
0: Ian, will the Labour Party perhaps uh, find the, the courage to revisit the whole Brexit issue?
1: see this is the interesting thing there's a there is a constitutional dynamic where labor needs the votes of areas that are broadly a bit more sympathetic towards brexit and it needs to keep the issue closed so the leadership's doing that but if you listen carefully to what the senior figures like david lammy are saying about brexit they're actually opening quite a wide degree of opportunity. I mean, David Lammy, for instance, is talking about, well, we're gonna need a new deal with the EU, a new trade deal. That's gonna have to have some kind of veterinary element. As soon as you talk about veterinary policy, you're talking about aligning your regulations so that you can send things to them without lots of checks, they can send things to you without lots of checks. And that means you're joining up your law. Like, not all of the law as it was before when we were a member of the EU, but little bits of law. And I think there you start to get a picture of what it will be like under an incoming Labour government, of a closer relationship, a closer trade arrangement, the sharing of bits of law, and very quickly the remorseless logic, that the gravity that's created by trade links will take over and we'll be moving slowly, but I think surely, back towards some kind of membership.
0: Now, Rishi Sunak is forging ahead with a a bill to rip up remaining eu laws ian
1: yes another quite staggeringly insane legislative dance that he's making it, it, this has long been dreamed of by the brexters is to take all of the retained eu law on the uk statute book from 40 years of participation in the eu and set a deadline completely arbitrary deadline of december the 31st the end of this year and then just switch it off unless a minister has come forward and said i specifically want to keep this one uh, what's amazing about this is they have no idea, no idea at all how many laws that involves. I mean, they first did a sort of test. They had this dashboard to try and find them. They found, I think, 2,400. Then they got the National Archives to get involved, and they were like, no, sorry, guys, you know what, like, we found another 1,400 over here. This morning, they've announced that there's another 1,000 that they found. They simply don't know how many laws there are. So what they will do in this sort of bizarre almost religious zeal-like frenzy is just insist on switching off all laws, even those which they do not currently know exist, and throw the regulatory system into just this spasm of chaos, of what are the laws on food regulation, on food ingredients, no idea. On gas safety requirements, absolutely no idea. So for some... For some reason, Brexit must always proceed this way. It can never proceed logically or cautiously or pragmatically. It has to proceed with this kind of year zero scorched earth policy. And Rishi Sunak, just like his predecessors, seems to be following the same path. How's he polling? Oh, very badly indeed. He got, I mean, the, the, the Tory polling just cratered during Liz Truss. It started during Boris Johnson, absolutely cratered during Liz Truss. And then he got over a couple of weeks, a sort of 10-point bounce when he came back in. But now that's just dissipated. So the Tories are 20 points behind Labour. That's the average, really. I mean, it is absolutely catastrophic polling. And generally, when the public look at him, I mean, they sort of see him for what he is, which is he's sort of a sort of, like a prefect at school that's been allowed to become prime minister for a day. He's not a disaster. He's far smarter than his predecessor or his predecessor's predecessor or indeed his predecessor's predecessor's predecessor. But he's still not actually very good um, and you sort of get that sense from him of thinking this is how you're supposed to act if you are a prime minister rather than acting like a prime minister. So, yeah, the, the polling is not good and, you know, you have to find very, very confident or imaginative people to see someone who doesn't think that the Tories are going to lose the next election.
0: I've been lucky in getting an autographed copy of Boris Johnson's autobiography. It's, <laughs> it's terrific. Have you,
1: have you read yours yet? No, no, no. I have have not had any chance to see any kind of uh, early draft for memoirs that he's doing. (laughs) But we are going to get, I mean, look, very, very soon, in a matter of weeks, he's going to have to go in front of a parliamentary committee to discover whether he lied to the House of Commons over the party gate scandal and we're going to have day after day of live televised footage of him trying to extract himself from this contorted mess that he's made and i think that will serve really you know in history and in the present as a really good substitute for any memoir from him himself but he's
0: he's already told us he's given a glimmering and says that putin threatened to take him out with a a drone or something
1: yeah, he did. Yeah, he did say that. Look, with with everything he says, you sort of think, well, that could be true, but also at the <laughs> same, you know, I mean, I mean you know, it's, it's not as if there's anything unbelievable about the idea that Putin would say this kind of thing. Of course, there isn't. But at the same time, once you've spent so many years of your life listening to him say things which you know to be false, or which you later find out to be false you have to just logically, just on a pure basis of rationality, extracting any kind of personal animosity from it, just assume that nothing that this man says can be taken as true. So therefore, even these stories, which might otherwise be useful to the historical record, just have to be treated with an absolute truckload of salt dumped all over it. Now, when
0: we spoke last year, there were rolling strikes across the UK. I understand the teachers are out on strike tomorrow.
1: They are, yeah. The teachers are on strike. Very interesting polling on that, by the way, which is that there's more support for the teachers' strike from parents with kids in school than there are from people who aren't parents or don't have people in school. So you get a sense of they're aware, almost by osmosis, of the kind of conditions and the pay that people are operating towards. We've still got rolling strikes with nurses, with ambulance workers, with trains. I mean... with civil servants with barristers it's actually quite hard to find any part of the economy that isn't on strike to the point where people sort of say well do we just have a national strike sort of by accident just by the sort of slow accumulation of all these individual strikes and that again is part of the reason that the tories are suffering quite so much which is just this pervasive sense across the political tribes across demographics across the geographic limitations that nothing in this country currently works, and that at least some of the reason for that has to fall with the government.
0: I, I was concerned that you were on strike, so I'm glad you come back. Good on you, Ian. <laughs> Ian Dunt, columnist with the iNewspaper and host of the podcast, Origin Story.
1: Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABCRN.